Hello, friends. Welcome to Wednesday Wake Up, a podcast hosted by Gregory Maloof, Buddhist Dharma teacher in the lineage of Ruth Dennison, mental health therapist, and mindfulness coach. Wednesday Wake Up explores the ancient teachings of Buddhism through the lens of Western psychology, neuroscience, and the modern human potential movement. Our commitment is for these teachings to educate, challenge, and inspire you to awaken to your deepest potential to live a truly fulfilling life of wisdom, joy, and compassion. Thank you for joining us. May these teachings serve you well. I think we should let Doyle Banks introduce himself, and uh, then I will give a little overview, just very briefly, of um, some ideas behind skillful speech. Many of us know the basics, but... I'll bring us home to the same page and then uh, let Doyle share some wisdom about this. I I woke up this morning and uh, I thought, oh, you know, tonight I should, uh, you know, recommend like people to go check out Doyle's um, online course because I know Doyle has an Empathy Advantage course, which is a combination of mindfulness and NVC. And uh, I was like, oh, I got to remember to like tell people to do that. And then I thought, or I could just call him and ask him to come come tonight and actually teach. So that's how my mind went <laughs> went today. So Doyle, my friend, welcome. Why don't you uh, unmute yourself and uh, thanks, Gregory, and uh, really appreciate uh, being invited and uh, getting a chance to be here with you and all of the group. I'm excited uh, to offer some thoughts uh, and to hear hear what wisdom you're going to share. I'm always blown away by uh, your perspective and wisdom. So um, thank you. And um, yeah, I, I uh, do have the online course going. If anybody would be interested, just shoot an email to me and you know i'll hook you up as they stay thanks doyle all right so i'll just uh offer just a few little frameworks here uh for about 15 minutes or so and then we'll get back to doyle i wanted to start actually with a couple quotes this first quote is uh a couple years ago when i was i was getting ready to give a, a talk on skillful speech and uh I was driving behind this car and it just had a bumper sticker that said, communication is not optional. It said, communication is not optional. And I love that. I love that. Communication is not optional. We are always communicating with each other, right? We're always in community communicating, whether it be text or email or body language, uh, emotion, micro expressions, and so on. And it's not optional. It is a powerful force in the world and our communication, the way we speak and the way we think before we speak is so important. It's such a huge part of the Dharma and rightfully so because we spend so much time communicating with each other. Uh, So I just love that uh, bumper sticker. And uh, I'm going to read this other quote. This quote is from Shannon Alder. Uh, It's an excerpt from Anatomy of Conflict. And it goes something like this. You might want to just bring awareness to the body Maybe close your eyes. It's a decent-sized paragraph. This is the quote that she has. It's from Anatomy of Conflict. She says, If there is no communication, then there is no respect. If there is no respect, then there is no caring. 
If there is no caring, then there is no understanding, and if there is no understanding, then there is no compassion. If there is no compassion, then there is no empathy, and if there is no empathy, then there is no forgiveness. If there is no forgiveness, then there is no kindness, and if there is no kindness, there is no honesty. If there is no honesty, then there is no love, and if there is no love, then God does not reside there. And if God doesn't reside there, then there is no peace. And if there is no peace, then there is no happiness. And if there is no happiness, then there is conflict, because there is no communication. I like that. If there is no love, then God does not reside there. If God doesn't reside there, then there is no peace. If there is no peace, there is no happiness. Shannon Alder. As you guys know, the last few weeks we've been doing uh, this sort of theme of looking back on 2020 and taking in the actual events that have been happening around the world, but also here in North America uh, in particular, and using them as objects of contemplation to really take in and honor the stress, the suffering and fear that have been going on and really use them as doors of awakening, not forsaking the opportunity in spite of the duress that we've all felt in various ways, um, we lean in, right? We honor the first noble truth, we cultivate those enlightenment factors, and we step up and we try to learn and gain some wisdom from all this tension um, and craziness, <laughs> I think is the, is the correct word for it that we've seen uh, in our communities and the world. So in the spirit of that, uh, one week we talked about the inevitability of suffering, and we talked about pandemics and wars and coups, and uh, the next week we talked about fear and how fear subtly drives behaviors and how much fear we've seen in the world, uh, how much fear we've seen just in the last six months uh, in the United States. And uh, this week I wanted to talk about speech because in 2020, uh, and I know I'm not the only one that saw this or felt this drastically, but I had never seen such dishonest speech publicly uh, by people in positions of power and leadership, uh, so much infighting, uh, so much hatred, right? So much hate speech. And it was frightening to see. And at the same time, it really made me realize why of the eightfold path, why speech is one of the folds, one of the frameworks that the Buddha said must be understood and awakened within us in order for enlightenment to occur. Speech cannot be ignored because we're always communicating. Communicating with others is not an option. We're always communicating who we are, what's in our hearts, what's in our minds, what's in our bodies. And when it is unskillful, it is hugely harmful. And last year, I really saw a harm in unskillful speech that was unprecedented in my own experience, um, in my life anyway. And so I can see clearly why, why speech was so powerful and why the Buddha insisted that it was an integral part uh, of his teachings. I want to offer a couple more quotes here in light of this idea of how powerful speech can be. This is an old folk saying, and it says, the tongue is a boneless weapon trapped between teeth. The tongue is a boneless weapon trapped between teeth. And another one from Bontiji, at least from Bontiji's book. I cannot remember in my notes whether it was him that was saying it or a quote that he had in the book, but it was taken from Bontiji's book, uh, Eight Mindful Steps to Happiness. 
He says, Every person who is born is born with an axe in their mouth. A fool who uses abusive language cuts themselves and others with that axe. And it's just that reminder that skillful speech is important because harmful speech can be so devastating. One of the things I like to remind myself about skillful speech, when I used to teach the Eightfold Path class for years, I found it always interesting that uh, in the teachings and in books that you read on the Eightfold Path, skillful speech tends to be a really small chapter. It's not that big compared to a lot of the other chapters or sets of teachings by the Buddha, but is so hugely important. And I found with myself over the years that it was really easy to think that I sort of had got it down, you know, like yeah, you know, skillful speech, be nice, don't say bad things to people, and you kind of move on, like don't lie. Um, And I think it's really easy with skillful speech to think that it's very superficial and that we can sort of master it by reading a few quotes or, you know, making an effort maybe not to gossip as much and then kind of move on to the deeper, you know, quote unquote parts of the path. And one thing I've noticed is that the skillful speech part of the Dharma is deceptively deep. There is a huge well of wisdom that I keep rediscovering year after year of being on the path. And I think it's really important that we acknowledge that and that we check in with ourselves every so often and really inquire, am I really intentionally living in a way where I am skillful in my speech towards myself and towards others? You know, when I was whenever I think of skillful speech, I think of two two catchphrases that uh my grandmother and my parents used to say when I was a kid, and I know this was a co- these were common uh, phrases, but uh, so the first one, the first edict as a child was, if you have nothing kind to say, don't say anything at all. Am I the, raise a hand if this is something you had at some point? Yeah, okay. So great, right? Nothing wrong. Uh, and then sticks and stones. Anyone hear the sticks yet, right? We got the sticks and stones one as well. So... Great. I mean, they're great edicts, um, but it kind of gives the impression that you kind of just blow it off, you know, just speak kindly and kind of move on. And with the Dharma, the Buddha is really asking us to go deeper than these superficial phrases. Um, We're really looking at karma, how the heart and mind vibrates out into the universe, how it can create connection, community and compassion or divisiveness, separation, harm, violence, the way we speak and the way we think, the reciprocal action of thinking and speaking are something that we really need to bring into awareness. And we really, in order to be free, have to cultivate the factors of awakening in light of our speech. And it's just something easy to kind of shine on, you know, to kind of ignore. So that's why I really like to talk about it. I wanted to show something really quickly, which is just the Buddha's actual instructions around skillful speech. And let me see if I can share my screen. And I've I've got the quote from the text. So give me a second. Let me see if I can share screen. Okay. Someone throw up a hand if you can see this. Yes? Okay. So this is, let me see if I can enlarge it. Okay. This is the Buddha's edict on skillful speech. Um, And the reason, partly the reason I'm putting it up here is that most of the time when we uh, read books on the Eightfold Path or um, see quotes online, you'll like tiny Buddha quotes and stuff on Instagram, um, it's usually a summary of this. 
it's usually a summary of this, but this is actually the main quote, as far as I can tell, where a lot of the Hallmark card Buddhist quotes uh, come from. And I just wanted to read it because I think it's interesting to go back to the actual language. So the Buddha says this, Monks, a statement endowed with five factors is well-spoken, not ill-spoken. It is blameless and unfaulted by knowledgeable people. Which five? It is spoken at the right time. It is spoken in truth. It is spoken affectionately. It is spoken beneficially. It is spoken with a mind of goodwill. A statement endowed with these five factors is well-spoken, not ill-spoken. It is blameless and unfaulted by knowledgeable people. So you can see here that we're, we're asked to speak timely. We're asked to inquire, can the person hear what I'm going to say? Is this the right time for what I feel needs to be said? This is a really challenging one. Is it spoken in truth? A little more straightforward. That we can kind of wrap our minds around. Is it a spoken affectionately? with benevolence, right? We want to say that it's like spoken with kindness, right? With the intention to benefit. And then again, is it spoken beneficially? And oftentimes this is phrased, um, will it benefit the person at this time? Can they hear it enough to really gain benefit? And I know many of us have put our foot in our mouth in this way, or other people have towards us, where we say something to someone that we know is true but it really isn't the right time. They just can't hear it. Or someone says something to us and we know it's true, but our heart is closed or our mind is contracted and we just can't hear it. And, and it's just not spoken at a time that's really going to be helpful for us. It's not really as beneficial as it might have been in a different time and place or a different heart space, if you will. And then again, it is it is it spoken with a mind of goodwill. So you see, you want to have an attitude of benevolence, truthfulness, honesty. But what I really like about what the Buddha says here is, is it the right time? And is the other person in a place of receptivity? Because oftentimes what we have in society is people think, I have a truth, the truth must be said, and I'm going to say it to you whether or not you're open to hear it. Now, sometimes we have to speak the truth, even when people are not able to hear. But we have to remember that if we really want people to be empathetic to what we have to say and to really comprehend it, at some point we really have to take into consideration their heart-mind. It's not just about our truth, but about the reception of the truth by the other person. So that's really what the Buddha is asking uh, us to do ultimately with skillful speech. And I'm just going to add another thing here uh, to break down what the Buddha means by the four types of speech that are harmful. And I'm going to read through these and then just give you some examples uh, of the four types of speech that the Buddha says we need to refrain from actively. So the first one, as you might guess, is lying, right? The Buddha says, refrain from lying. And he actually goes on to give some categorical distinctions here. We might inquire, is what I'm saying accurate? Is it accurate? Have I embellished it all or have I exaggerated? So the Buddha really asks us to take into account exaggeration and embellishment as part of a form of dishonesty. Um, and, you know, human beings, 
without even thinking will embellish and exaggerate. It's what human beings do, even if they're not intending to be dishonest. And oftentimes the mind will actually exaggerate or embellish without even knowing that it's doing it. And because of that, we really must bring mindfulness to our speech because unconsciously we can be deceiving. And the last one the Buddha says, which I think is really interesting, is the use of silence. The Buddha talks about silence in certain circumstance as a form of dishonesty. So if we don't say something that needs to be said, it can still be a form of deception. It can still be misleading and it can still do harm. So you might consider, again, skillful effort because all of these things are going to depend on context and who we're talking to and what is in our heart mind and what is in the other person's heart mind at the time. And so all of these have to be taken into account that this is not just an edict. This is not just do this or else. This is a practice of self-exploration. This is a practice that invites you to say, in this moment, why do I desire to deceive? Right? What am I afraid of? What am I trying to accomplish? Why am I exaggerating? Is it because I'm insecure about something? Is it supposed to be for my benefit, the other person's benefit? We have to remember that skillful speech is an exercise in mindfulness and an exercise in compassion. Can we be compassionate to ourselves and can we be compassionate to others? And exploring when we're dishonest or why we feel the craving to be dishonest is super important. Many of us have categories in our lives of certain people that we're not fully honest with because it's just easier, right? We've got friends, family, people, strangers, employers, who knows? We all have certain lies that we tell, certain inaccuracies that are considered to be, for at least for our opinion, like forgivable, right? Little white lies and so on. The Buddha asks us, to consider not just whether it's a lie or not a lie, but why? Why the lie? What's going on in our heart-mind? What suffering is there? What craving? What aversion? So it's not just about, I don't lie and therefore I'm a good person. It's really looking in the moment when you desire to not say the truth, what's going on? That's where the doorway to liberation really occurs. The three other kinds, malicious words, malicious words. Malicious words has to do with intent. It's language that's divisive. It's language that creates disharmony in communities or in within ourself. It's divisive language that pins people against each other. And it's also using language as a weapon to harm. You know, and we've all done this. Like we're human beings and sometimes we're in an argument with somebody or we're in a situation where we're really triggered and we see that moment where we can push someone's button and we do, right? We sling an arrow and we know it's going to hurt because we know this person intimately usually and we press the person's button. That's what the Buddha calls malicious words. It's when we use language to push someone's button to actually, and harm here, of course, is going to be gradations, right? It might just hurt their feelings or it might just you know, sting a little bit, or it might be very divisive and end a relationship, who knows. But again, when we look at malicious words, when we look at harm that occurs through speech, we have to ask ourselves, what am I feeling in that moment? Am I feeling powerless? Do I want control? Am I trying to defend myself? Mindfulness can be used for great insight during these moments when this kind of language arises in our heart and mind. The other two, harsh language 
and useless talk, as the Buddha calls it, which we translate as gossip. But the actual translation is usually useless talk. Um, harsh language is things like this, sarcasm. But, you know, being snarky to the point of, like, harm, you know, not just casual humor, but, but sarcasm or snarkiness, um, hypocrisy, belittling, uh, profanity that's done just for its own sake. This is the quality of our language. The Buddha invites us to be gentle in our speech so we can connect heart to heart with other people. It's not just to say, oh, I'm not using a particular language and now I'm a good person. It's about using a particular language with the heart-mind intention of really connecting with the other person, like really making ourselves vulnerable and honest and being able to build that bridge to another human being. So it's language that can be embraced and connected, and I think for a lack of a better word, compassionate, compassionate language. And the last one, of course, is gossip or useless talk. Useless talk. Um, I wanted to highlight here that this does not include social buffering. Human beings tend to gossip, and usually it's to feel safe and comfortable and get conversations going, and that's totally appropriate. It's what human beings do to assess whether the other person is safe whether the other person has any kind of malintent. So social buffering is a little bit different. Gossip is usually talking about someone who's not present, where like you and a friend are talking about a third friend. That's kind of what the Buddha is talking about, this kind of gossip. And what I really like about the useless talk, useless talk um, is that what I really translate as skillful intimacy. If I'm with a friend and we're talking, and we triangulate, as we say in Western psych, we triangulate someone into the conversation who's not there. It decreases intimacy between you and the other person. That's a form of gossip. And it not only could hurt the person that you're talking about, it decreases the authenticity and the intimacy between you and the other person. So I always like to include skillful intimacy or triangulation, which means bringing someone into the conversation who's not even present. And... Most of us at one time or another have friends or a friend, and when we get together, for some reason, we tend to talk about other people. <laughs> we talk about other people we both know. It used, Usually it's kind of like gossipy and maybe a little snarky. Um, and so those kind of things the Buddha really asks us to take into account. But the big thing here is to remember that this is a practice of self-exploration, to cultivate an open heart and an open mind, and to authentically bring yourself to another person in intimate connection. And I'll leave you with one last quote before we uh, give the floor over to Doyle here. This is from Achan Jeff to Nisro Bhikkhu. He says, The goal of skillful speech is to use mindfulness, to be aware of the way the mind chatters to itself, both internally and externally, and to learn to use this chatter for our very liberation to use this chatter for our very liberation. So I will end there. That's just a little overview of skillful speech. Many of you are familiar with all that, but gets us all on the same page. Doyle, my friend. I'm also always so um, filled up when I hear you teach. So um, I kind of just want to say, well, that's all folks. Uh, but since you asked me to say a few words, 
a couple things came up for me as I was thinking about this this afternoon uh, after you and I had talked, Gregory. One of my favorite suttas in the canons is the Buddha's instructions to his son Rahula at Mango Stone. In, according to the commentaries, Rahula was the ripe old age of about seven years old. And this is one of the first uh, known teachings of the Buddha directly to his son. And he starts out on this very theme of honesty. Uh, and he gives this really powerful uh, object lesson uh, using a dipper full of water uh, to, to Rahula. And I won't try to tell you the whole thing, but basically uh, he kind of goes through the stages. He has a dipper of water and he pours almost all of it out. And he, he says to Rahula, he says, see how little water is left in the dipper? And of course, Rahula says, yes. And he says, uh, that is how little character there is in anyone who feels no shame at telling a deliberate lie. And then he tosses away that little bit of water and he says, do you see this, how this little bit of remaining water is tossed away? Yes, sir. Whatever there is of a contemplative in anyone who feels no shame at telling a deliberate lie is tossed away just like that, or another way, another way of saying it. Any, any bit of good character a person might have, if they're willing to tell a deliberate lie, it's like tossing away that little bit of good character. And then later on, uh, shortly after that, he, he goes through a couple more iterations with the Dipper. And then he gives this uh, simile of a royal elephant who is trained so well that it will risk its very life in battle for the king or for the person who trained the, the elephant. The analogy he draws, he says, in the same way, when anyone feels no shame in telling a deliberate lie, there is no evil, I tell you, that he will not do. So, Rahula, train yourself I will not tell a deliberate lie, even in jest. You know, you can see he puts tremendous importance on uh, character and building good character by being honest and by absolutely refusing to tell a, a lie. That teaching always stands out to me when I start thinking about skillful speech and as you mentioned, you know, as you were starting tonight, Gregory, uh, starting your teaching, you know, this last year, we've seen uh, the true character of many people who, you know, are, have been in the public light. It has, I think, really rocked us as a society and as a nation to the core, brought up, for me, um, at times, just not not really a despair but just a huge disappointment and a wondering you know is is there any anybody in public service who's even capable of telling the truth you know i was born in 53 
you know, it was just before the big social upheaval in the, the 60s and 70s, you know, and I, I went to Sunday school and I went, was a Boy Scout and I had all this belief in being a good American and, a, you know, that America, you know, was uh, built on truth and honesty. Over the decades, as I've come to learn the truth about so much of our history, I have found it really challenging at times to kind of have faith, I, I guess maybe is a way to think of it or say it, our ability as human beings to rise above telling lies, to rise above dishonesty, to create and, and really stand in and live in uh, good moral character. And when I came to the Dharma, that restored uh, a lot of that shaking that happened for me around that belief in our potential as human beings. And I realized, well, you know, with the Dharma, you know, we can, I can build or in that case, by the time I came to the Dharma, it was about rebuilding some aspects of my character so that I could enjoy some peace of mind, uh, you know, on one level, uh, so that I could enjoy repairing some relationships that had been broken and damaged with myself and family members and so on. So skillful speech became an instrument for me of healing and repair. Then also, like I said, kind of rebuilding my character and then being able to create an inner uh, environment in my heart and mind so that I could live more peacefully and peaceably within myself and then outward people around me uh, so that was that was one one thought that or set of thoughts that that came up for me just to chime um, in for a second here Doyle I, yeah. I really like how you uh, emphasize the uh the character building but also what you said earlier with the Buddha and his son the the idea that um you know someone who is willing to tell, you know, a blatant lie to somebody else. There's a sense of distrusting them, you know, down the line, sort of uh, not to be too facetious, but sort of a gateway drug, if you will. This sense of like, if you're willing to deceive me just outright, where is the rest of the character? How can I feel safe? How can I trust? You know, uh, one of the things that I, in previous talks on skillful speech, one of the things I had researched was kind of why societies value uh, skillful speech in general and honesty. And uh, the big thing is living in a world where we can't trust each other, living in a world where uh, we might have disinformation and can't make skillful choices in our lives is hugely disruptive to human relationships. You almost can't really have a society of safety and benevolence if we don't all take a stand for this, at least this character trait um, that I'm going to be basically honest with you, you know, face to face about stuff. Um, that's hugely it's usually helpful for me to look at it as like a building of character. So thank, I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, you know, that brings up for me uh, a little bit of a side, side track or side path. Uh, 
the neuroscience in that as well. You know, our amygdala is always spinning around two questions. Uh, am I safe and do I belong? Am I safe? Do I belong? Am I safe? Do I belong? And dishonesty uh, triggers that so that even on just an individual personal experience level, if, I, if I'm surrounded by people uh, I can't trust, then I never know if I truly belong to them or with them. And I never really know if I'm safe. And so I'm going to more, more than likely uh, create, you know, barriers uh, out of self-protection and develop uh, aggressive behaviors out of self-protection and, and so on. I like to always make a clear uh, a distinction I like to make clear is around empathy and compassion. And I, I bring that up because I hear, you know, when I hear conversations about empathy or compassion, uh, people tend to get those mixed up. And empathy is a learned skill, okay? It's a skill that we can learn. Uh, and it's the, I call it the skillful action of the heart and mind and mouth. And the skillful action of the heart and mind and mouth. And when we learn it and employ it, what it does, it's like a key that unlocks then that potential for compassion. And compassion is that energy. The Buddha called the quiver of the heart at the sight of the suffering of another person. And I, I always love that, the quivering of the heart at the side of the suffering of another person. Um, and empathy is the tool or the key that we can use uh, and we can practice it, learn it uh, and become very skilled with it um, so that we have easier and easier and more ready access to our potential for compassion. Uh, another thing I was thinking about uh, is this that you kind of hit on is um, truth and and love. And my uh, second bishop, when I was a priest, he uh, always liked to talk about um, speaking the truth in love. And he would always use the simile of the velvet covered hammer, which stuck with me, uh, you know, all these years later. And I, I always liked that image of, you know, sometimes you, you got to take the hammer out and, you know, do the work, uh, which is, you know, bringing truth into the room. Uh, and if we can do it in, the, you know, in a, uh, with loving kindness, with goodwill, with compassion, uh, with uh, benevolence uh, and do it for the sake of everyone's benefit, like you were sharing in the, the quote from the Buddha, then it, it's so life-giving and life-affirming and healing and strengthening. So the other uh, piece of that is 
uh, that compassion is not pity. Uh, and sometimes you hear people kind of confuse uh, those two as well. And, they, and it's not uh, just a, being sentimental. Uh, uh, it's not a sentimental sadness, but it's, it's a genuine wish for the well-being, for that other being to be free from suffering, free, likely free from the suffering that we're witnessing that they're inflicting on themselves quite often, or that might be inflicted on them. Uh, another thing I'll mention and then uh, turn the floor back over to you is uh, speaking truth to power. And another aspect of that would be uh, speaking our honesty or honest expression, as Marshall Rosenberg liked to call it. Honesty done skillfully is an act of compassion. And a great example of this was Gandhi when he spoke truth to power, uh, when he went to the British and said, look, you know, you guys are doing as much harm to yourselves as you're doing to us. And there is a way for you to undo this bad karma, you know, and there's a way out, a strategic way out of this for you that you can leave and return our sovereignty to us and keep your dignity. So he was really invested in, you know, uh, he had compassion for both the oppressors and the oppressed. It wasn't just one or the other, but he held, he was able to hold both in his vision and in the compassionate capacity of his heart so that he was invested in helping them be able to preserve their dignity. And they were able then to work out, uh, you know, a plan, a strategy, so that the Brits turned over, con turned control back over uh, to the Indian people for them to be self-governing. And they left with their heads held high, so to speak. It was really a remarkable point in history where, you know, things could have gone sideways or gone south in, in so many ways, but really by the, the power of uh, his vision and compassion and what he inspired in those who followed him and practiced the Satyagraha, uh, the constructive program that he laid out, then uh, you know, com compassion won the day and skillful speech won the day. I love that. That's great. That's really cool. Thank you for sharing that, Doyle. I really appreciate it. Mm -hmm. I really like how you were talking about uh, the crossroads of truth and love, which I hadn't considered in that context, which is beautiful. Yeah, that um, they sort of can't have one without the other because they're both they're different dimensions of the same experience and same human connection, which is really powerful. Uh, that honesty that so much of the Dharma is about compassion, but at the same time, the whole foundation of the Dharma is truth, being able to be mindful, 
to what is truly happening in this moment. And that acceptance of the truth of what is, is a quality of love. And so truth and love dimensions of the same human experience where you can't really have one. Uh, you can't truly have the love if there isn't the truth. And particularly that first moment of truth of your own willingness to be awake and aware to what's happening inside you and uh, the other person. When you had said that, I remembered that the the Buddha said that one of the qualities that all of his students had to have, uh, without exception, was the willingness to be truthful with oneself and with others. Because he said, without that trait, the Dharma is is lost. Like you can't walk the path if there isn't an innate interest and commitment. Now, of course, we're going to fall off and stumble and trip over our own two feet. But um, truth, it being truthful and willing to see truth and honor truth was one of the big characteristics that I believe the Buddha talked about in his students that he required in order to take them on as a student. In our individual, in our practice as individuals, you know, it's, it can be so hard sometimes to, in our minds, speak truthfully to ourselves. And it's really important that we learn how to do that and, and to do it with compassion. We're probably the, all of us are probably pretty well practiced at being truthful to ourselves with a lot of meanness, <laughs> a lot of being critical. I, I see one person nodding their head. Uh, yeah, we, you know, we're, we're usually quite good at that, bringing truth to ourselves in love and with compassion is what can, can heal and what can motivate us to uh, be ever even more uh, ardent in our our practice and to, to be more persistent and and to keep trying yeah i'm very familiar with being overly truthful <laughs> with myself <laughs> i can be so truthful of self-criticism <laughs> Come so easily. And I'm so well practiced at it too. This is a life life. It's one of those things I've mastered along the way is being able to, to truthfully tell myself I'm not good enough and don't bring the love enough. As you said, that's, that's great. I, I've got another question for you, Doyle, just to bring this together. Um, and if you, not that you have a, a soundbite for me, but the relationship between skillful speech and skillful listening. Cause what I heard you say there is, we also have to be willing to listen. Like when you were talking about Gandhi, that skillful speech, it, it sounds like it's one-sided, right? My skillful speech to you. But when you mentioned Gandhi, it reminded me that skillful speech is also skillful listening of what's inside us and what's inside the other person, which I imagine nonviolent communication is, is big into that, I presume. Oh, very, very much so. And yeah, you know, and if we look to the Buddha, you know, that was something that you see just constantly. Uh, he, he knew how to listen to hear what the real question was that, that potential students or students would bring to him and then would respond, you know, with truth and compassion. And so, yeah, it's, it's a critical skill. One, uh, you know, Ajahn Jeff, likes to talk a lot about the committee in our heads and you know kind of the subtext of uh, what he's often saying is that we need to be able to listen mindfully to the inner chatter 
so that we can uh, see the truth of what's going on in our heads and our hearts and then respond with truthfulness and with compassion um, you know and and sometimes you know that might sound like uh, you know kind of being gentle and kind with ourselves other times it might sound like well you know uh, I, I I was sitting a couple mornings ago and you know my mind would just all over the place and finally I just said out loud to myself you know hey are you here to get enlightened or or just fart around you know <laughs> and you know it was like come on dude you know do it or or just you know get up and go do something else so anyway thank you so much uh for sharing Doyle I really I always appreciate your you have one of the biggest hearts I know and your, uh, your understanding of compassion and the way it works in speech to me is just always blows my mind. It's always so helpful as a reminder. And like I said earlier, um, skillful speech is deceptively deep. It's got a huge well of insight that connects to everything else on the path, the speaking and listening. And as Achan Jeff often talks about, it's often about how we talk to ourselves. Do we have the proper self-care through self-talk that's positive and how much self-deprecation is leading to our deprecation of others? And it's just that interconnectedness and symbiotic relationship is, is so profound if we can I have the courage and truthfulness to really see you know, what's, what's going on. So uh, thank you so much for, for sharing that, really. That's, that's fantastic. Um, what I'd like to do, um, since we didn't really plan out the whole thing here... Um, for sake of time, what I'd like to do is just uh, bring us home. It's it's 8.30. Sometimes I go to 8.45, but lately I've been trying to get us out on time. And uh like to do is maybe do some meta and bring the uh, group to a close. Um, not to put you on the spot, Doyle, but would you like to bring us home with two or three minutes of loving kindness? I would be honored. Thank you. So let's... Bring ourselves home to the breath and to our bodies. Take a deep breath. And just remind yourself that you have the potential for goodwill, for loving kindness. And the more that you exercise that potential, the bigger it grows. So in this moment, just bring, bring the most tender picture of yourself to mind and to your heart that you can imagine, whether it's some memory of you as a small child or some memory of yourself in a particularly vulnerable moment or some memory of yourself in a particularly strong and courageous or together moment. And now just send that version of yourself 
the wish for the great happiness, the unconditioned happiness. May I know, may I have the direct experience of the unconditioned happiness. And just notice the resonance of that in your heart and body as that version of you receives the metta, the loving kindness that you're sending yourself right now in this moment. And then bring to mind a loved one someone really precious to you. And just bathe them in that intention, that wish that they might know the great and unconditioned happiness. And then expand that out. Bring to mind your teachers and mentors in the Dharma, those who have helped you along the way on the path to liberation, the path to that great enlightenment, that great happiness. May they know the great happiness. Then expand that out to your friends and loved ones. And then if you have neighbors of whom you're particularly fond, send that out to them. May my neighbors know the great happiness. And then bring to mind one or two people who you might be rather neutral about, might be uh, a checkout person at the grocery store who you see each time you're in the store, but you don't really know that person. Or it might be, you know, another neighbor that you don't know all that well, you're not particularly close to. May you know the great happiness. And then as best you can, to whatever capacity you're able, bring to mind someone who immediately evokes the feeling of unpleasant for you. And as much as you're able, send that wish 
to that person. And if it's someone who has hurt you, you're not, you're not letting them off the hook. You're not uh, ignoring perhaps hurtful behavior or hurtful words that they've said or done toward you. But it's really about sending them the wish for their happiness, their freedom from suffering, so that we all might be free from suffering, that we all might know that great happiness. And then send that out to all living beings everywhere, without exception. Our fellow human beings, the four-legged beings, the flying beings, the swimmers and the crawlers, the insects, and even the microbes. May all living beings, whether they're short, medium, or tall, great or small, may they all know the great happiness. Gregory, thank you again, and thanks to all of you uh, for your support and presence. Well, my friends, thank you so much uh, for participating and your kind attention. And yeah, Doyle, thank you so much uh, for stopping by. How fun. Thanks for joining us here at Wednesday Wake Up. We honor the traditional Buddhist practice of offering the teachings without charge. So this podcast will always be ad-free and will never be behind a paywall. This podcast is sustained exclusively by the generosity of listeners. If you've received value from this podcast and have found your life or practice enriched by listening to it, you can support Gregory as a teacher by going to our website, www.wednesdaywakeup.com, and click on Donate at the menu on the top. While you're here at the website, join our mailing list and follow Gregory on Instagram at Gregory Maloof Dharma. Thank you again for listening. May all beings be happy.